sweet. Who else? Come on. What? Purple Rain. Oh, my gosh. That's a great one. One more. Give me one more. Dashboard confessional. That takes me back. College. Uh, I have two favorite albums. Uh, my first favorite album is Nas's Illmatic. That's a great album. Uh, it changed me in 1990, whatever. Um, and then when I was in college, I had another great album that I really loved. Uh, same as Ben Grace, OK Computer by Radiohead. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, they're both really, really good. Um, OK Computer, though, like, it struck me in a certain way. So let me tell you, there's some technical aspects to OK Computer. It's a, uh, uh, there's some technical truths, we'll call them. Uh, did you know that the drums on OK Computer, none of them are actually done on a drum kit. They were all looped and digital, and they were done on a MacBook before doing that on a MacBook was cool. Did you know that? Um, yeah, so that happened. It was done not even by a guy in the band. It was done by someone named DJ Shadow. He did all the drums on OK Computer. That's a technical truth of OK Computer. They used new software. They used a, a bunch of new programs that actually revolutionized the MacBook. Did you know that? Those are technical truths about OK Computer. Now, that's not why I like OK Computer. It's not. I'll tell you why I like OK Computer. I like it because in the year 2000, I got off the plane and I popped OK Computer into my disc man and I was in London and I walked around London and I, I literally ran into the Queen, no joke, it happened. And I remember listening to OK Computer, walking around London and thinking, this album was made for me. Like, this was mine, right? They, they wrote it for me and the feeling that I had, that was the truth of the album, right? That's why it's my favorite album. I was really in love with this girl at the time and like, I didn't know if I was gonna marry her or not. And there was a couple songs on the album and I was like, these are our love songs. Like, it was, it was like, this is it. Like, and I did marry her and, and the truth, of OK Computer when I listen to it, right? The truth is that I think back to those times. I think back to that experience. I think back to my wife or that girlfriend who's now my wife. Right? That's what I think about. There's truth, right? So there's a technical truth, and then there's what I call experiential truth. You have technical truth, you have experiential truth. Now, now we, we, we like to use these truths at, at different times. So uh, for instance, we have a van. Uh, it's uh, outside over here, and we uh, unload it and load it up every Sunday. If you wanna do that with us, we would love for you to help. Um, and uh, this van, you know, sometimes it acts up. So let's just say we take it to the mechanic, and the mechanic drives around and comes back. He goes, well, the problem is that your van's in a really bad mood. You'd be like, what? You've been treating it mean, and it needs to go out to dinner, and it needs to be treated better. Like, we'd be like, no, dude, what's wrong with the van? Like, tell me what's wrong with it. Um, and, and so there's technical truths that we need sometimes. The technical truth would be like our, our van has a bad serpentine belt. That's a technical truth. And then you have your experiential truths. And so when we think about a kiss, our first kiss, um, our first kiss, there's a technical truth. It's two skin cells touching, two lip skin cells touching together, the physical contact. But there's an experiential truth, which is an emotional truth, which says there's an emotional connection, right? There's something more beautiful than that. There's a memory attached to it. You have technical truths, and then you have your experiential truths, all right? I'm going to read you a scripture for today. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I'm going to read it. It's from the book of Colossians, and it's from this, by this guy named Paul, and it says this. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him and to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, uh, 
uh, through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love this scripture. There is some technical truth in this scripture. There's some experiential truth in this scripture. The good news of this scripture is that we are all made whole by the death and the resurrection. But, but Christianity has spent a whole lot of time dealing with technical truths. So when you're a Christian and you're dealing with technical truths like checking serpentine belts on vans and creating rules and creating a, a set of lists and right and wrongs, we're going to get caught up in a passage like this. And you want to know where I get caught up in a passage like this? I'll tell you. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That trips me up. I'll tell you why it trips me up. It trips me up because now I sit here and I go, okay, uh, there are rules involved in Christianity and am I still evil? Am I alienated? Am I in? Am I out? Is God renewing me? Or did I do enough last Saturday night that God's no longer renewing me? Like, you know, am I, like, in a place where, where I believe the right thing? And if I believe the right thing, God definitely considers me part of the renewal of all things. But if I don't believe the right thing, maybe I'm still considered out on the alienated side. And so we go back and forth with all these technicalities, these technical truths. Am I in? And at what point did I become in? Did I say the right prayer to become in? Did I get baptized to come in? At what point does all this start to make sense for me? And that's what we do. We create technical truths in a scripture like this. We have churches, and if the churches agree with our technical truths, we generally like those churches, and if they don't agree with our technical truths, we generally walk away from those churches because it's all about who's in, who's out, what are the rules, what are the times that are now considered part of the renewal of all things, and it's a struggle. And so a lot of times, you know what we do? We throw our hands up in the air, and we say, as long as I'm a good person, God will love me. How many people have said that? Be honest. I'll be honest. How many people have said, as long as I'm a good person? Man, I, I don't believe half of you. <laughs> you guys got to raise your hands. So we think, as long as I'm good, as long as I'm good. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're putting these technical truths into the basket of Christianity and saying that this is what it's all about. There's an in and an out. There's a right and a wrong. And I got to get it figured out. Otherwise, I'm going to be alienated. And I want to be in. Here's what the resurrection does. The resurrection breaks all the rules. The resurrection crushes those technical truths. The resurrection tells us that there are other truths, wonderful truths, like walking through London, listening to your Walkman, and, what, and getting kissed for the first time. There are these truths, these experiential truths that come through the resurrection that tell us that these technical pieces, they no longer matter. There is something greater. We are all renewed. We are all reconciled. And Jesus comes to show us that. You want to see how Jesus comes to show us that? You can say yes. Yeah, I'll keep, I, you can do that. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. This is how Jesus does this. There's this family. It's a big family, 12 tribes, in fact. 12 tribes called themselves Israel. Have you ever heard of Israel before? Yeah, yeah. So Israel, a really big family, got along really well, fought a lot of battles together. Things were going well. And all of a sudden, this empire comes in, the Babylonian Empire, and it comes in from the north. And what it does is it crushes 10 of the 12 tribes. I mean, really beats them down, enslaves them. And so you have the other tribes down here going, oh, no, what are we going to do? But after a while, the Babylonians start to infect or inflict their culture upon the upper tribes. And so now these upper tribes are intermarrying with the Babylonian people. They're, they're worshiping idols. And now the lower tribes are like, hey, we can't be family anymore because the technical truth of Scripture, and it's in Scripture. You can peruse through Leviticus if you'd like. The technical truth of Scripture tells us that you, now that you are intermarrying and now that you are, uh, um, you know, Worshiping idols, we can't be family anymore, so we're going to cut you off. We're going to disown you. And you're not going to be called Israelites anymore. You know what you're going to be called now? You're going to be called Samaritans, okay? And now we consider you less than. 
you're mixed, you're less than, you don't work. Scripture tells us these are the technical truths of the Bible, right? And in fact, they hated the Samaritans so much that this new land that they called Samaria, the, the Israelites, they would walk around it in order to get to where they ever had to go. Now, geographically, Samaria is as close uh, to, to the Israelites as New York is to New Jersey. Can you imagine walking around New Jersey to get to wherever you needed to go? It'd be awesome. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, that's what they did. That's how far they went out of their way to avoid the Samaritans. Technical truths in Scripture tell us that the Samaritans are to be avoided. And that was the law. What does Jesus do? There's this passage, right? It's in, it's in John. He shows up. I'm just going to read the first part. It says, so he left Judah and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Right away, he's like, you know what? I'm breaking rules. Walks right through into Samaria, finds a Samaritan woman. Sees a Samaritan woman, and she's getting a drink, and he's like, hey, can I get a drink too? And the Samaritan woman freaks out, like flips out, because here's the deal. Rabbis, like Jesus, they're not supposed to talk to any woman, period let alone a Samaritan woman. In fact, some rabbis weren't even allowed to talk to their wives at certain times, all right? So he, he, he's talking to this woman. This woman goes, hold on, you know who I am, right? I'm the Samaritan, I'm, I'm intermarried, and I worship idols and all this stuff. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, can, please, I'm thirsty. Can you get me water? And, and, and the woman's like, you know, you don't get water from a Samaritan woman even if you're dying. You could be like close to death. You still wouldn't do it. And Jesus says, yeah, give me water. And then he starts to tell her other things about her life. He says, you know, there's living water that I want to give you too. And she goes, what do, you, what do you mean? And he goes, listen, I know life's not great for you. I know that you've had five husbands. I know this. Quick side note, an important side note too. To have five husbands at that time isn't the same as having five husbands today in America, okay? Having five husbands at those times usually meant that either your husband died and you had to marry a brother or you were barren. And a lot of times when you, ha when you had to marry a brother or when you were barren, those were grounds for divorce. And if those were grounds for divorce, then a lot of times your only uh, um, option as a woman was to become a prostitute, which means that you were marrying a lot of different men at different times. So this is a woman who is not so much immoral as she's marginalized, as she's hurt, as she's struggling, as she needs something else. And Jesus says, I have this living water for you. Not only does he say that, he says, go tell everybody. Go tell the Samaritans, the ones we're not supposed to talk to. Go tell them about this. She runs back. She goes, everybody, this guy says he's got living water. He knows everything about me. You need to hang out with him. For two days, for two days, Jesus hangs out with the people that you are not supposed to hang out with. Technical truth tells us to stay away from the Samaritans. Technical truths tell us that they are the ones who are bad, who disobey God. Technical truths tell us the ones that they are alienated and doing evil. The resurrection breaks the rules. The resurrection tells us that the Samaritans are loved just like we are loved. It tells us that the most marginalized are loved like we are loved. It tells us that we are loved even when we think we don't deserve to be loved. And it tells us that the people that are on the outside, that we always think are on the outside, are in fact on the inside. They're being renewed and they're being made whole. And the resurrection, the resurrection breaks all the rules and technical truths to bring a greater truth, that we are being renewed. I got another story, you want another story? Good, because I was gonna do it anyway. How <laughs> many people have heard of Mary Magdalene before? Mary Magdalene? Lots of stuff has been said about Mary Magdalene. Um, we don't know very much about her, actually. We know that uh, Scripture says she was healed uh, of a demon, which 
uh, in those times a lot of scholars will say was a mental illness, healed, healed of the mental illness. Um, some people will say that she was a prostitute. We don't know that for certain. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We do, do know that uh, a few thousand years ago, uh, the Romans came into where she was from, Magdala, and they committed genocide there. They killed 2,000 people by hanging them on crosses. We do know that. That happened. And so most scholars will say that Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, was around at that time. So she would have um, been affected by genocide. She probably would have lost family members. She probably would be someone who was experiencing PTSD. She would have been considered less than. There's a good chance she was forced into some sort of slavery. And so once again, your technical truths of scripture, the technical truths of the law say those women, women who are forced into that kind of slavery, women who are in that situation, women who are now of ill repute, aren't to be messed with. In fact, if you get into some passages in Leviticus, it says that we should burn those women if they start selling their bodies for sex. We don't know if Mary Magdalene did that or not. That's technical truth. That is the truth of the scripture. All of a sudden, Mary Magdalene starts following Jesus around. What does Jesus say? Mary Magdalene, go home. I can't hang out with you. Is that what he says? She becomes one of his most, you know, one of his best friends. She becomes an insider, an insider to the point that when Jesus dies, it's Mary Magdalene who shows up at the grave, and she shows up at the grave, and she brings, like, spices and all this stuff, and she sees this gardener, and she's like, just tell me what you did with Jesus, and the gardener turns around, and he's like, Mary, and she's like, teacher, it's you, oh my gosh, it's you, you're alive, and he goes, yeah, I'm still going to go back to my father in heaven, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to go tell everyone, everybody else that I am here and I am alive and I am resurrected. And so who is the first pastor? Who is the first missionary? Who is the first, you know, leader of the church? Who is the first one to talk about resurrection? A woman. And who was it? It was a woman of ill repute, a woman who is considered less than, a woman who breaks all the rules. It's a woman who is not supposed to be near Jesus and yet is the one that gives the good news to the, the disciples, the men. What does that tell us? The resurrection breaks all the rules. The resurrection, because uh, technical truth, technical truth says that those women, no, stay on the outside, you're on the outside, you can't even get into certain parts of the temple. The truth of the resurrection says you go and talk about how I'm alive. You are restored, you are renewed, you are equal, and you have always been equal. This is the truth of the resurrection. This is the beauty of the resurrection. The resurrection breaks all the rules and creates new truths. It topples technical truths and says there's a new way to do life, and the new way to do life is in a resurrected Christ. Now, how many of you believe that? How many of you believe it? I see some people like, ah, oh, maybe. How many people have a hard time believing it? I have a hard time believing it. I, um... I have a hard time believing because I have, I've treated people less than. Like the, the scripture shows us that, you know, we treat the marginalized a certain way. Those are the new rules, right? The new, the new experience. That's, that's what happens with the resurrection. I, I haven't. There have been times in my life I've been prejudiced. Times in my life I've used my privilege for the wrong reasons and the wrong things. That's, that's not what this resurrection is all about. But the good news is there's a Jesus saying, yeah, I see you. And yeah, you're a mess, Jonathan. I wasn't always the godly man I am today. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a mess, Jonathan. 
But the truth, the new truth of my resurrection breaks the rules and says, me, even me, I am redeemed. I am being made new by I'm, all things. All parts of me are being made new on heaven and on earth. I, I get this, right? This is the, the breaking of the rules means that I get to be a part of this renewal of all things. That is good news. How many people here suffer from addiction? I would say we all could probably raise our hand on this one because we all suffer from some kind of addiction. Addiction to money, to moving up. Addiction to looking good, addiction to clothes, addiction to drugs, addiction to sex. There's plenty of them. There's this lie we're told. We're told that there's a technical truth that says if we have an addiction, then we're a mess, that we're still alienated from God. And once we get ourselves figured out, well, then God will finally love us and start to renew us. The beauty of the resurrection is that it breaks that rule. It says you are loved, addiction and all. And because you're loved with your addiction and all, your, your brokenness, your anxiety, your pain, the whole thing, because you are loved that way, uh, guess what? You are now free. You're free to say, hey, I'm addicted to something and I feel powerless over it. You're free to talk to other people and say, hey, since we're all being renewed, you know, help me with this. I'm, I'm struggling with this addiction. Since we're all being renewed, I know I'm loved and now I can work on bring peace that God intends. That's what I get to work on. That is the good news of this resurrection, the resurrection that breaks all of the rules. That's the good news. Resurrection breaks the social norms. I have a friend, Steph, who I met about six years ago. She helped start our church. Our church started about five years ago. Steph moved here from, from San Francisco, um, and she came to like our first like little meeting when we were becoming a church. And uh, she's like, I really want to help. I just moved, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, great, Steph, help. And uh, I made her help by watching my kids. I was like, watch my kids. <laughs> um, but then Steph became just a really incredible friend to me and to my wife and a friend to my kids. And, and there was a time, this is early on, um, I'm on Facebook because we're all on Facebook. And Steph wrote something to the effect of like, you know, it's National Coming Out Day. And to all my new New York friends, I need to let you know that I'm gay. That's what she wrote. And I didn't know what to do. So I did what you do when you don't know what to do. I liked it. <laughs> and Steph came to church. We were going to another church at the time. We were waiting for this one to start. She came to church the next Sunday. And she came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. And I was like, hey, Steph, what's up? And she was like, you liked my, you liked my post. And I was like, what, what, what are you talking, what post? <laughs> She's like, you, you like my post, the one that says I'm gay. And I said, well, you're loved. You're loved by me, you're loved, you're loved by God, you're being made new. And then she wrote me this note, and this is what it said. It says, you, this community supported me. And when I say me, well, yes, I mean Steph, the 32-year-old Filipino girl from San Francisco who loves to cook and pretend to play the guitar. But I also mean me, Steph, who's a lesbian. You see, I grew up in this church and I loved it. But one day when you're 18 years old and you're staring at yourself in your dorm room mirror and you're crying and you're begging yourself not to be gay and you realize you're about to lose it all and that's what happened to me. Others gave up on me. Others turned their backs on me. Others closed their doors on me and asked me never to come back. But this community, they let me be in a way that allows me to reconcile and mend and heal and start a journey meant to flourish. So yes, I guess that's how this community has supported me in ways that others haven't. They let me exist and be a part of something I need. That's church, that's love, and that's faithfulness from God. The resurrection breaks all of the rules. 
It breaks the rules concerning people like my friend Steph. It breaks the rules for every person who's ever been told that they're less than. It breaks the rules for every person who told that they are a, a dog, as the Samaritans did. It breaks the rules for everyone who's ever been called uh, a name based on ethnicity or race. It breaks the rules for everyone who's ever been hurt being a refugee. It breaks all the rules and says there's a new truth. And the new experiential truth is this. The new truth is you are loved and you are being redeemed. All of it, not some of it, not part of it, not wait until you get in. All of us, all of you, I am being redeemed. And that is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to break the rules. There are rules that we walk out. We walk out into New York, there are rules that say, oh, you know, I'm not going to walk down this block. That's where so-and-so is. I don't want to have to deal with so-and-so. Break the rules. Go talk to so-and-so. I want you to break the rules. Yeah, but I don't know about these people. I don't know if they're in or out. Break the rules. Tell them they're in. Show them love beyond love beyond love. I don't want to talk to that person. That person hurt me a long time ago. I've been holding a grudge ever since. Break the rules. Tell that person that they are worthy of reconciliation. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with guilt. I'm filled with shame. Not today. You are part of the resurrection which breaks all the rules. The good news of the resurrection says that all of us, every single one of us, not some of us, are evil. And it says that all of us, not, not some of us, uh, have been alienated. It says every single one of us are no longer in that camp. We no longer live in that technical truth. We are redeemed. Let's thank God. Let's thank Jesus that he broke all the rules. Amen. Let's pray.